When Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, he learned the power and the love of God. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we learn lessons from the Exodus and God's great rescue. We are in episode 62 of Exodus, God's Great Rescue. And this is, uh, we, we spent some time yesterday looking at the final instructions that God gave to Moses. Um, um, the, the, the last one was to make sure you rest as you, build the, as you build the tabernacle and you build the tent of meeting. Make sure that you rest. Don't spend all your time in construction because humans need to have time to recharge. You know, we rest every day. And that's good, but it's also time to. It's also good to kind of relax your brain, put away the stress of the world, and just spend time in the presence of God on the Sabbath. Um, that is a great thing to do, and I highly encourage it. Which is a great reason to, of course, attend worship on Sunday morning because you can put all the cares of the world around, and you can focus your attention on God for a period of time. And, uh, and let him fill you with his love and his joy and his peace and his, uh, everything that he fills you with. Um, so um, that was the last instruction that God gave Moses. And then Moses is going to come down off the mountain of Mount Sinai. And things are not going so well at the bottom of the mountain. So let's just take a look at it and we'll start reading in Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. <laughs> you just, you just got to wonder sometimes, right? I mean, God says, No other gods before me. Um, quite clear. Moses is gone for a period of time. That doesn't say how long he's gone, but he's up in the top of the mountain conversing with God, figuring out all these things. And now the people are restless. It's like, where's this Moses fellow? He was supposed to come down a long time ago and he's left us here with you, Aaron. And we really feel like we need to have something that represents God because Moses is now gone. When Moses represented God, we knew we could come to Moses, we could talk to Moses, and things would be well. But now that Moses is gone, we need some symbol or something that can be a God for us so that we have a God. Because every people needs to have a God. And now that Moses is out of the picture, we don't have a God. So let's make one. Now Aaron at this point, remember Aaron was up on the mountain with God. <laughs> or with, uh, yeah, with God and Moses and the elders. At this point, Aaron should have said, no, we're not going to do that. God told us not to worship any other gods. I don't think this is something that we should be doing. Let's just give Moses some more time, okay? Let's just hold on. I know that you're restless. I know you're anxious, but that's okay. We'll, we'll wait a little bit more for Moses. Let's send a search party up and see if we can find Moses. I mean, all the things that Aaron could have done 
but Aaron didn't do it. Instead, Aaron, <laughs> uh, Aaron basically caves to these people. It tells you a lot about Aaron's gifts. So Moses' gift, we already know, Moses has this incredible gift of leadership. He was in the palace with Pharaoh. He rescued the people out of Egypt. Uh, he, he, God put this mantle of, of leadership on top of Moses. And Moses, up till this point, has done a great job leading the people out of Egypt. This is not, uh, th- this is not, Moses has performed exceptionally well. Let me put it that way. Moses has performed exceptionally well. We know that Aaron is not the leader type. Even though he's the older brother, Aaron doesn't have the leadership chops because Moses has been uh, given the mantle of leadership. Aaron's kind of like a right-hand person to Moses. Aaron, uh, his gifts are in different areas. He probably He's not one to make conflict with the people, obviously, uh, and there are people like this that they, they don't they don't like conflict and they they kind of go around with everybody and in in my heart of hearts I think I'm not a good person with conflict I don't like conflict um, one of my ways of uh, of uh, dealing with conflict is that I will listen to everybody and then I will take all the opinions and then I'll say okay we're gonna go in this direction uh, and then the people that don't like that direction I'm just not happy. Um, I mean, they're not happy with me, and I don't like that. Uh, other people love it; they thrive on it. Uh, but I'm not. A, I don't. I mean, if you ask me, am I more of a Moses or am I more of an Aaron type? Um, although I, I would not have done what Aaron did. <laughs> I don't think I would have built a calf. Uh, I would have. I would have tried to figure out a way not to build a calf. I would have. I would have used my resources to say, okay, let's just hold off on building the calf. Let's see if there's another path that might satisfy everybody until uh, Moses gets down off the mountain. That's probably what I would have done. But Aaron, Aaron's gifts are, he, de- he wants peace. He doesn't want anybody to be angry. And so he, he basically says, okay, take off your earrings. We're going to make a, a calf. Um, we're going to make a golden calf. And that's going to be a God to us um, as, as we live here. Totally wrong. Totally bad, totally against God, totally against Moses, but he, but he, the people need to be appeased, and this is how Aaron is going to appease the people. And um, another interesting thing is that they had they had golden earrings back then. I like wonder what they would have looked like. Are they hoops? I mean, I mean, you just you got to wonder uh, what the earrings of Egyptian people would have looked like. And I, I've seen pictures in. Uh, hieroglyphs and Egyptian art where you do see them wearing the where the hoop earrings and things like that so it's it's not uh, it's not out of the question that they also would have been wearing earrings um, what what all oh, let's see take off the and your sons your daughters are wearing so the sons were wearing earrings also um, now that's interesting because in today's modern American culture right nobody no well today everybody wears earrings but when I was growing up the only, only pirates wore earrings or people who were uh, countercultural wore earrings. Now everybody wears earrings. It's like kind of a ubiquitous thing. Does God say you can't wear earrings? Absolutely not. There's nothing in the scripture that says you can't wear earrings. Um, it's mostly a, just a cultural thing. So um, so the women wore earrings, the sons wore earrings, but they took them all off. They gave them to Aaron. Aaron must have been a good craftsman. Maybe Aaron is one of these silent 
uh, craftsman type that loves to take, you know, things and go in a room and, and build things. But um, the priesthood for Aaron is actually a good, uh, is a good, um, I mean, he has, it's, it appears that Aaron has a temperament to be a good priest because he wants to be, you know, to pacify people and that sort of thing. Um, Moses may not have made a good priest. Moses is a good uh, leader. Um, Aaron is, is, is probably a good priest um, in, that, in that respect. All right, so uh, let's continue reading. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. <laughs> so not only did he build a calf, but he says, okay, we're going to have a festival. Now, there is nothing wrong with having a festival. Moses, at periodic times, said, okay, this is a time to pause and stop and thank God for everything that he's done. They did this when he was brought out of slavery in Egypt. I mean, there were very many times when Moses would stop and say, let's give thanks to God, right? They cross over the Red Sea. What's the first thing they do? They have a party. They celebrate. They have a, an offering to God to thank him. Why? So Aaron's, Aaron's like, okay, we built a calf. Woo, woo, woo. And God will be so high, you know, the calf God will be so happy with us. We should basically do a, a, a festival and offer burnt offerings to the calf God. And nobody in the crowd goes up to Aaron and says, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't have a sacrifice to the calf God. This might make the real God angry. Um, and Aaron's like, well, the real God's representative is up on the mountain. And we don't know where he is. And so we're just going to do this because we have to appease our gods. Um, we have to appease the calf God. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting. That's the calf God. It's not the lamb God, the sheep God, the goat God. It's, um, it's the calf God, which is interesting. What other religion has the calf God? Uh, it would be all those people in India. They, they associate the cows with... God, and so they don't sacrifice or slaughter cows. Apparently, if you go to Calcutta or you know Bombay or some of these big cities in India, sometimes you'll, or I guess probably smaller villages in India, you'll see calves walking around, and people worship them uh, as a god because, and they won't slaughter them, they won't eat them. These are sacred animals, um, and they're ubiquitous; they're everywhere. But uh, and, and so somewhere along the line, they. I wonder if this comes all the way back to Aaron and this this whole offering. I don't know. <laughs> it is, you know, the cow is a impressive animal. Um, if you've ever been around cows, they're big, they're huge, they're you know they're a pretty, and they provide milk. So in India, the milk from a sacred cow is a special milk, and um, so there's there's a lot of uh, tie-in with the sacredness of that when the cow gives milk, but. Um, yeah, this, this is not what God is not going to be happy with the Israelites. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He's given them the 10 commandments. He's given them the, uh, the, the bigger law, the Torah. And, and now he wants them to build the temple. He wants them to be his people, to worship him and him alone. And this completely goes against everything. Almost think that God is an angry God, might have another Noah moment here. I don't know, but we'll just keep reading in verse 7. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, your people, 
whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. So notice, I always love it when they say, it's like, your people (laughs) whom you brought up out of Egypt, well, now they're corrupt. And it's like, well, wait a minute, God. These aren't just my people. If I remember correctly, you said, these are your people and you brought them up out of slavery in Egypt and you rescued them. And, you know, these are as much your people as they are as my people. You almost, uh, I I just laugh when I hear stuff like this because uh, whenever my children, particularly my son, did anything that was, you rolled your eyes or you were kind of angry about, it's like, well, your son. <laughs> she, my wife, you know, Jennifer's like, no, it's your son. <laughs> I was like, no, it's your son. <laughs> and, and it depends upon which characteristic, right, of the son more emulates the, the mother or the father. And I must admit about 99% of the time, it really was my son. I mean, the things that John were doing are probably much more in line with something that I would do than something that she would do. Because um, unfortunately or fortunately or whatever, my son and I have very, very similar temperaments, very similar temperaments, very similar personalities. So it is my son. So God, when, when the people of Moses act more like man... Than, than they are of worshipers of God, the creator of the universe, then perhaps the Lord is a little bit more justified in going to Moses and saying, well, these are your people whom you brought of Egypt. They've become corrupt. They're, they're sacrificing things to a calf of all things. Come on, man. Go down and, and take a look at these people and stop them from doing that. Well, I think that that is exactly what happens. So verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation. (laughs) Before we go on, yeah, it's like, okay, go down, go down there. Oh, and by the way, as soon as you go down there, I'm going to destroy this nation because they have not followed what I've asked them to do. I'm very, very angry. So Moses goes down, verse 11. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God and said, Lord, He said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. And Moses has a very clever argument. Moses is not dumb. He goes up to God and he says, now wait a minute. Before you destroy all these people, let me just just think about this. If you destroy all your people, what are the Egyptians going to say? They're going to say, man, their God, you know, he's a bait and switch type of God. He brings them out of slavery in Egypt. He, you know, he rescues them, brings them around the Red Sea, feeds them, you know, gives them all this stuff. And then he destroys them. That was his intent all along because he's, he's just an evil God, right? He, he, he had evil intent the whole entire time. You know, you thought these people, they were fooled. They thought that God was going to rescue them and bring them into a promised land, but God rescues them and then destroys them. Um, you know, what kind of God is that? Now, God would be completely justified in doing this. There's no question about it. Would it make God look bad? Yeah, it would make God look bad. But, um, but you know, God is God. But this is God would look bad to the Egyptians. Now, I'm not saying that God changed his heart because of that argument, 
but it is a very clever argument that Moses brings to God. So we continue reading in verse 13. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, who is also known as Jacob, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. I mean, this is, this is, this is the last argument. It's like, come on, remember this covenant. You said we would be your God, or we would be your people, and you would be our God. You got to remember that, God. And God says, well, that's if you keep my covenant, if you keep my commandment. If you, and that, then it was the covenant, right? Which the, I will be your God, you will be my people, and the, the sign of the covenant is circumcision, which I'm sure they're doing. So they're still in this covenantal relationship with God. Uh, God's anger is fierce, but they haven't broken that part of the covenant yet uh, at all that I know of. And so Moses brings this back to mind to God and says, well, you promised. You promised that we'd be num- as numerous as the stars. If you kill us, how are we going to be as numerous as the stars? Um, it's, a, it's a true argument that Moses brings to God. And we can go to God with the same argument. Any, any argument that God has placed before us, that his promise, that he has promised through his son Jesus, through the scriptures, any argument that's there, God will honor that that you know, that promise. Any promise that God makes, God always honors it. Of course, our biggest promise is that Jesus is our Savior, that we're in the kingdom. God clings on to us and holds us, and he walks beside us, and he forgives us, and he gives us his strength and his power and his, and his honor. All of that stuff is in us because of Jesus, and God does not break that promise at all. God can't break a promise. Well, he can. He's God. He can break promises if he wants to because he, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. There's no question about it. But this is a promise that he made to his people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as Israel. So, yeah. So you just listen to that again. Verse 14, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. So Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. So now Moses has the tablets with him and he goes down the mountain with these two tablets. And it's engraved on both sides with the hand of God, right? God had written and created these tablets. Moses comes down with these tablets um, to see what in the world is going on. And what does he see? Verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied. So I just point out, so Joshua at this point is with Moses. Uh, Joshua's his aide de camp, if you will. And they come down and Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting. And so he says to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. But Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire, and he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. 
Oh my goodness, talk about being angry. He breaks the tablets, he burns down the calf, and then he grinds it into the dust, into the powder, and he puts it in water and he makes the people drink it. I mean, Moses is not happy here. We would call this a Vesuvius moment in the Hook household, where finally the anger rises up and you cannot control the anger and you burst out in anger. And this is like Mount Vesuvius that burst into a volcano and covered all of Pompeii with with lava and ash and dust, killing everybody uh, in Pompeii. This is this is a Vesuvius moment that that Moses has. He is very very angry, and he has every right to be angry. The people were not supposed to do this. Um, and if you've ever met a good leader, um, every once in a while you'll see a well. A good leader, a good parent, at points need to get angry. They have to, um, they have to rise up to the occasion and make it known that what the kids, or in this case, the people of Israel, are doing. You have to make it known that this is not acceptable behavior. This is not, this is not good. And so Moses, who's a very good leader, uh, this is how he deals with it. Um, he makes the people drink it. Now, I don't know if drinking gold, you know, if it would have been mercury or some of these other, you know, heavy metals, it's probably, you know, not good. I have no idea if drinking um, gold is good or bad. I don't think it's good. But, um, but, <laughs> but Moses is fairly angry here. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Verse 21. Then Moses goes to Aaron. What did these people do to you that you led them into such a great sin? I mean, this is... And Moses is right. He goes to Aaron because he had left Aaron in charge, right? And of all these people, it was Aaron that should have said, no, wait, we're not going to do this. We'll figure out some other path. But Aaron was like, okay, let's build a golden calf. And all right. Moses is not happy with his older brother. And it's interesting that it's his older brother. Man, just fascinating. Verse 22. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. You know, I had no choice in this, Moses. It's not my fault. You left. They came up to me and they said, we need we need a golden calf. And so I said, well, take off your earrings. And Moses, you know, Aaron's like, so I threw it in the fire and then magically out of the fire comes this golden calf. I don't know how that happened. It had to have been the hand of God. I don't know. My goodness. Um, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. Oh, don't blame me. I'm just trying to do the best I can. Please don't blame me. What happens? Verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword on his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, killing, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So, uh, oh man, I didn't have that up. Sorry. Yeah, it's just tragic. Um, He brings up, 
He gives these Levites a sword and they go through the camp and they kill 3,000. Now, how many people are we? We're talking about a million people. So this is about 3%. This is about the same as the coronavirus, right? The number of people in the United States compared to how many millions we have. Um, yeah, it's about the same percentage. Um, Moses, because of Aaron's not following the instructions, this made Moses very angry, and Moses has to prove to the people that they cannot violate God's law, and so he goes and he kills them. Um, doesn't kill everybody. I mean, this is there's, if there's a million people, he's killed, you know, 0.3% of them, but it's enough to get the message across. And, you know, I don't know what criteria God had. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't kill everybody. It's the Levites to go kill um Maybe it's the Levites' friends and brothers and neighbors, which would be horrible. Um, like, you're my friend, you're my brother, and you're my neighbor, and I have to kill you because of what happened. I mean, that's the way it reads. Um, that is not a pleasant thing to do, but the Levites do it. The Levites do it. So now they have a Levite class of people. So you have the Aaron class, but now you have the Levites, and the Levites are sworn to follow God. Um that their family is sworn to follow God. And so they go out and they do this. I guess you could say in a, in a way they've earned the right to be the Levites, to be the, you know, the priests moving forward. Um, it's a horrible, it's a horrible thing that Moses does, um, but, but it had to be done. Um, Moses has to convince the people, he has to show the people that not following God's law has consequences. And Moses is angry, God is angry, there has to be a sacrifice. There has to be a punishment to show the people that there has to be a punishment. Um, so, um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think let's leave it there. I mean, just, just think about that for a while because then what happens next will be very, very interesting and we can talk about that some more. But the uh, same is true for us. God has laws and he asks us to follow the laws. And without Jesus as our mediator, without Jesus as our um, friend who stands in front of God and says, please don't destroy this people, we would all be destroyed a long time ago. But, but God sent his one and only begotten son into the world to rescue us so that we're not destroyed when we do stupid things too. Um, all right, so let's, let's close in prayer. Gracious God, um, man, what a difficult lesson for the people of Israel to learn. But you are a just and holy God, and you demand perfection. And you demand it from the Israelites, and you demand it from us. And we thank you, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to save us when we are imperfect. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.